You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Ever since I was a little boy, I've been fascinated with photography. Uh, When I was in sixth grade, we have a picture of me with my buddies on a field trip, and I'm the only one with a camera hanging around his neck. And that's been kind of the story of my life. So every morning, uh, without fail, I read the photography forums. I, I check certain forums that I check every day. Most of it doesn't change my life. Has just, just a thing I'm interested in. So I just picked one from this week. I thought I'd read to you. Or in other words, a 70 MPFF sensor is probably on its way, translating into a 31 MP in 1.5 X crop. 13 FPS at 14 bit and 70 MP would be nice offering too, but enabling DRO, you're now granting the camera permission to add brightness and tone curve, processing to JPEG, including exposure, pushing that won't be reflected in RAW, so it's kind of like an auto ETTR mode. (laughs) Did that bless your heart? (laughs) Well, unless you're into photography as I am, that means probably very little to you. But you see, it's my culture. And unfortunately, I understand every bit of it. Because it's what I read every day. It's what I know. It's my culture. And by the way, you're just the same, but probably not in photography, in, in some other hobby or interest or sport or, or maybe in your business. You have a language that when you're in that mode, in that hobby you are speaking in a language that only those who know that culture speak. And I share that with you because today we come again to the genealogy of Matthew and one thing you must know is that Matthew was a Jewish man who wrote to his own people, the Jews. So he wrote in their culture, in their language, and in a sense, in their code Now, if you're not Jewish, if you don't know the language and so forth, I think Matthew is difficult for many English-speaking Americans because you read it and certainly you can understand it on its base value, but then there's things that go deeper and deeper that only if you know the culture do you get it. So today, I want to walk you through 42 generations of people. And in those 42 generations... I want to show you Matthew's very clever communication. It's, it's very, very, very interesting. Now, I will say this before we begin. Some of you just love the detail and digging deeper. You're going to love today. Some of you just like kind of the big picture overview stuff. You're not going to be happy today. Uh, so maybe grab another cup of coffee or whatever. I think we'll still give you the big picture at the end. I'll give you the key thoughts, but... This is for those who like to go a bit deeper. Today we look at three generations. Let me show you what we're studying. A couple weeks ago it was five golden kings. Last week, four errant girls. Three today, three different eras. Two famous dads is next week, and then on Christmas Eve, and a babe and a genealogy. So we're just playing on the song and looking at Matthew's genealogy. Would you take your Bibles and your sermon notes, please? Join me in Matthew chapter one. Your sermon notes include all of the scriptures, so if you have those or if you use the church app and download those, you'll be able to follow along very easily. Now, there are two things in the series that I'm trying to 
communicate as clearly as I can. The first one is, I understand that genealogies usually seem boring. Uh, I'm the same way. When I'm reading the Old Testament and I get to a long, chapter-long genealogy, I kind of skim it. Uh, but if you do take the time, and if you have the time, and you take the time to really dig in, you're going to find some things you wouldn't find anywhere else in Scripture. Fascinating. Secondly, Jesus was born of the perfect line. And by the way, as you're going to see today, at the perfect time to be the king and the Messiah. And I think as you read this genealogy, it's going to go, wow, God really did have everything figured out. I think that's the lesson. Now, let me tell you about the three different eras. We're going to be reading in a moment about three sets of 14. 14, 14, 14. Three and 14 are the key numbers. Three sets of 14. And we're gonna see that no matter what period of time it was, God was God. He is the God of forever. Secondly, to kind of continue on that thought, Matthew delineates, he, he helps us understand the differences of the three different time periods, but he also reminds you that as people changed, as the time period, as the generations changed, God remained the same. God was always there for his people. He never walked away. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thirdly, the numbers within the genealogy are fascinating. Now, I don't have time to get into a lot of detail. In fact, it wouldn't be right on a Sunday morning to take that kind of time, but I'll give you a little bit. This is the Hebrew alphabet, alphabet we would say. And it, as you know, starts from the right, moving to the left. So it's Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet. For us, it would be A, B, G, D, and then the letter He, and the letter Vav. Okay, so I'm just gonna give you the first row, because that's all we need for this. In English, we don't connect letters and numbers. In Hebrew, it's always been the case. Num letters are used for numbers. So an aleph is a one, a bait is a two, and so forth. You just follow the alphabet, and that's how you deal with your numbers. I share with that, that with you because we're going to start with this idea of three. Three is often used by the Hebrew people to indicate something that is complete or finished, particularly in time. So you have Jonah who was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. That was indicating it was done. Or Jesus in the, in the grave, three days and three nights, done. You have three festivals in the spring if you're Jewish. You're done with the spring holidays. In the fall you have three festivals. You're done with those once you finish those. And, and this Concept goes on and on, but here's another play on that. You see, Abraham is the way we often say father. Abraham's the father of the Jews. Avram means the father of people. So when you say Abraham, you're saying father. And the word Abraham or the word father is the word A-B. Now, it's Aleph Beit in Hebrew, but I'll just show it to you here. These first two letters, add them together, that's the number three. So Abraham... That's the beginning and the completion, if you would. So that's the number three. By the way, just to remind you, 
The Bible tells us when the set time had fully come, when time was up, God sent his son. What time? Well, we're going to read that right now. Before we do, there's the number 14. 14 is considered by Jewish people to be the number of salvation. Why 14? Well, in some ways, it's, it's big, a big picture of it's twice times seven, the perfect number. Secondly, maybe most importantly, every year you have the biggest holiday for the Jewish people called Passover, Pesach in Hebrew. And Passover always falls every year on the 14th. It was the day that we remember the Israelites leaving Egypt and salvation, freedom. And so 14 is the number for salvation. 14 lambs would dedicate the temple. Temple festivals, when you celebrated God's salvation, were 14 days in length. Now, one more thing you should note here. If Abraham's name tells us about the number three, you know what David's name tells us? 14. You see, you just take the number the letter D and the letter Vav and the letter D. Now you can add that yourself, 464. And David is the number 14. So Abraham has very cleverly slid into this genealogy the threes and the 14s so that we know that this is a plan of God. Let me read it to you. Thus were there 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So three sets of 14. Now what are those three sets? Well, that's what I wanna show you. And I'm gonna do it quickly, even though each one deserves its own study. Let me just share with you about the first era. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And if you're Jewish, you would also read the son of 14. The son of Abraham, and if you're Jewish, you'd also read the son of three. So the 14 and the three, the David and the Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez and the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nishon, Nishon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of, I showed you this a few weeks ago, the only time in the whole first chapter, with all of those kings, the only time he uses the word king, because he's indicating to you King David this is 14, the first 14. Now, this first era could be called the beginnings because it's the foundation for everything that's going to come later. This is the beginnings of the Israelite people, the beginning of them as a nation. So how would you describe it? Let me explain to you. Number one, it's a time of incredible excitement. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, we have Moses and we have Joshua and we have Aaron and we have, you know, obviously all the way up to King David, all these famous people. It's a time of excitement for the Jewish people. If you wanted to live in Israel, this would have been the time to live. Secondly, time of heroes. I've just named them for you. In fact, when you think of Old Testament heroes, most of those you'll choose come from this 14-part generation. Thirdly, it's a time of holiness, commitment to God. 
It was Joshua who said, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you'll serve. But as for me and my house, and by the way, if you remember, the people all answered, we will do the same. Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. And the people go, we, we, we will too. It was a time of holiness. Not everybody was godly, but many were. And third, and fourthly, it's a time of miracles. If you want to find miracles in the Old Testament, except for the time of Elijah and Elisha, this would be the time you'd look at. Of course, the parting of the Red Sea uh, and the God giving them manna every morning and uh, Jericho falling down, the, tum- the walls come tumbling down, all of that happening miraculously. That, this is a time of miracles. Thirdly, God was obvious every step of the way. If you read, starting in Genesis 12, that's where Abraham is introduced, and you read all the way through, say, into 1 Kings, up to 2 Kings, you're gonna see that God is kind of obvious on every page. God is there, God is doing great things, and that's because the people love him, they're following him. The second era. David is the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, or Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. And Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. Now, I'm going to pause here as I'm reading because I'm not really going to come back to this to say this one thing. If you read this for yourself, you'll realize that when we get to the third generation, third set of generations, we only have 13. And that's because most probably there's a typo. Now, keep in mind, the word of God was given to us absolutely flawless. But sometimes throughout the generations, things might have been copied. And you can see how this name and the name Jeconiah could be easily changed. So I really believe that what Matthew wrote was the father of Jehoiakim, and then Jeconiah comes next in the next set of generations. So all you have to do is turn to First Chronicles. You can read that for yourself, and you'll see that that's correct, and that's probably what was originally written. Now, the second era could be called building. The first one was beginnings. This one you'd call buildings because it's the formation of Israel. This is when Israel became a nation. This is when they began to establish themselves. Israel grew to a mighty power in the Middle East. It was a great time in many ways. You'd mark it this way. Number one, it was a time of glory. Those of you who've studied stages through Grow here at Emmanuel, you've learned that S-T-A-G-E-S, that letter G, stands for glory, and this is that time. Israel had the greatest glory. They were seen as the mighty nation. It was also a time of leadership. Kings would step up and lead. Now, this is both good and bad. I just want to say something to you. I think you're aware of this, but, you know, people change in various times. And in those days, people wanted a king who would rule them. They didn't want to say. Today we want to say. We want to vote. And, and I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying things change. And in this period of time, people wanted a leader who would step up and lead. By the way, some led very well. Some led very poorly. 
in this set of 14 generations during this time, you have some good and some bad. 14 generations, though. Really? Well, if you count it for yourself, going back to 1 Chronicles where they're first listed, there aren't 14 generations. There's, uh, there's 17. So either Matthew couldn't count, or Matthew made a mistake, or Matthew intentionally left out three people just so he could get 14, and that doesn't seem right, does it? So why 17? Why is the 17 the right answer and 14 the wrong answer? Well, in a sense, they're both the right answer. I put on the back of your notes, you don't have to turn there now unless you'd like to. On the back of your notes is the three sets of 14. And I'm gonna zoom in on the middle one here just so you can see it a little better. And you can see that after Joram, there are three names in the, first, in the book of First Chronicles. Ahaziah, Joash, Amaziah. Matthew just leaves them out. Willy-nilly. Does anybody ever say that anymore? Is that just old people say that? <laughs> he just, I mean, without, it's, without explaining, he just drops three names. So he got 14. In other words, Joram was not the father of Uzziah. He was four generations later. Matthew, what's going on? Well, many of you might know. These kings were not included, I believe, in Matthew's genealogy because they were sons of the wicked Ahab and Jezebel. These three, Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah, were not to be included, even though they're listed in the Old Testament because in the genealogy they belong, but in God's genealogy, in Christ's genealogy, they don't belong. Let me show you something. If you go back to 2 Kings, it says, And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation will sit on the throne. In other words, says, God, I'm leaving out three generations. I'm dropping three. Because those three shouldn't have been there they were from an evil man and his evil wife, queen. These are those. Joram, then you have these three names, and then Uzziah. So Matthew left them out intentionally because they belong in the genealogy as a list, but they don't belong in the genealogy of the Messiah. Thirdly, this period was marked by war. They were constantly at war with the nations around them. And then when they weren't fighting with the nations around them, they were fighting with each other, civil wars. But it was constant war. And then it was a period of spiritual swings. They're with God, they're against God. They're with God, they forget God. It's just back and forth and back and forth. In fact, Elijah kind of gives us the, the feeling of that period, right? How long will you waver between two opinions? How long are you going to go back and forth? I'm with God, I'm not with God. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. Make up your minds. Thirdly, this second era, God was evident when the people turned to him. So when Elijah would stand on the mountain, Mount Carmel, and call down fire from heaven, you saw God. 
When the people turned to God, you'd see God. But otherwise, God's not there much. You read this period of time and you go, oh yeah, God's kind of there and he's on this page, but he's forgotten half the time. Brings us to the third set of 14 generations. I'm gonna read them to you. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, that last couple of verses we're going to deal with on Christmas Eve. Let's just kind of look at that period up until Mary and Jesus. This, area, this era could be called biting. What is biting? Biting is when you kind of just wait for something to happen. We often say biding your time. That's how I would describe this era. 14 generations where everybody was floundering. Everybody was waiting for somebody to do something. Someone, someone stand up as a prophet and speak. Someone stand up as a king and lead. Someone do something. But it was a period of just floundering. In this period, you'd mark it by these things. Number one, confusion. Who was the king? Well, it depended which time you're talking about because there were different, different empires ruling. Who was the prophet? Who was God even? Confusion. Secondly, it was a period of nobodies. As I read those names to you, you were probably thinking, who are they? Is he pronouncing them right? <laughs> I was thinking, am I pronouncing these right? I, I don't know. Now, those 14 names are unknown to us. Why? Because this is that period when nobody stands apart. There's no, no heroes here. Period of mediocrity. Nothing going on, nothing happening. It's a period of spiritual deadness. Acting like we are belonging to God, but not living like it. If you would, maybe the way we'd say it in our time, go to church on Sunday mornings, but live like the world the rest of the week. That's kind of what they were. Let me read this to you. In the book of Malachi, it says, you have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed, Certainly, evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. So you, you pretend you follow God, but you really don't. This third era, God is forgotten. He waited for his people to return to him. He stood there and waited. By the way, he eventually sent his son into this very difficult, dark time. But he waited because he was forgotten. Now, I share a lot of detail with you there. I realize it's overwhelming to study 42 generations that quickly, but I wanted you to see the three eras because I think there's three very important lessons we can draw from this. Number one, the Lord was always the same. 
patiently waited for his people to call upon him. When they called upon him, he answered. You know, you look at it and you see him everywhere in the beginnings. And you see him sometimes, oftentimes even, in the period of building. But you don't see him all in the period of biting, except, except when a righteous young lady by the name of Mary is visited by an angel. And the angel says, God's heard your prayers. So there were very few people who at this period of time called upon God. But he was always there, just like today. He's there. He's waiting for you to turn to him. Trust him. Secondly, when I look at these three sets of generations, I realize this is probably true for most nations on earth. In fact, since we probably here best know the U.S. history, let me kind of walk you through that. I would call the 1600s all the way through the end of the 1700s the period of beginnings. Just like for the Jewish people, that's where our heroes come from. That's where the conquerors and the explorers, that's where the George Washingtons, Thomas Jeffersons, Paul Revere, that's where these names that we constantly talk about, a lot of them come from, right? This is a time of excitement. This is a time of firsts. We, we first became a nation. We wrote our first documents for our country. We had our first army. We had our first time of expansion. It was, it was a wonderful period of time in the way of excitement. First. But then, as most of you know, beginning in 1800, we had this period of glory as we began to be established as a mighty nation, and in fact, one of the mightiest nations on earth. But also, we were known for war. Do you realize from 1800 until 1945, we were involved in six major wars? We were constantly at war, and if we weren't fighting with everybody else, you know who we were fighting with? Ourselves, the Civil War. Just like Israel. This is a time of swings. You know what this period of time is known for, Christian, in a Christian history? It's called revivals. We would have revivals and people would come back to God in droves. And we had these wonderful period of time, great revivalists. If I'd named them, you'd know them. Preachers. And people came back to God, but then the next generation would forget him. And then the next generation would have a revival. It was back and forth, spiritual swings, until... I'll say the 19th time of 1950 and beyond up to today, I would say a time of mediocrity, a time of biding our time. We're waiting for something to happen. Who's gonna step up and lead us and its world? Who's going to step up as the godly men and women? Who are going to do something? It's a time of spiritual deadness, isn't it? In fact, that passage I read to you from Malachi, you could put that right over top our generation. That's who we are today. We pretend to know God, but we deny his power. Time of spiritual deadness. Now, you might look at that and say, okay, that may be the case, but what can I do about it? Well, really, individually, we can't do much in the way of changing the culture or where it's heading, but we can make a difference in our small part of our world. Wherever you live, wherever you work, you can make a difference. Don't live like this. Don't live in mediocrity. Don't live in spiritual deadness. You don't have to. Just because the world is, you stand apart. This past week, my wife and I went to Home Depot. 
We had something we wanted to buy and only, could only find it there. So we went into Home Depot, found it, took it up to the checkout, got to the checkout, and the checkout lady was way too friendly for me. <laughs> and, well, hi, how are you folks? What have you done today? Is it all decorated for Christmas, all this? And I'm like, yeah, 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 well, you know. <laughs> but then she goes, have you seen the movie The Shift? Nope, haven't seen it. Oh, she says, you need to see it. She said, it's so good. She said, I, I don't know if you're Christians. It's a Christian movie, but you gotta go see it. She goes, it was done by the same people who did The Chosen. Have you seen The Chosen? Yes, yes. Oh, she said, powerful, the life of Jesus. And she said, this, this movie will just help you. It'll increase your faith. And I'm thinking, she doesn't know who we are. She doesn't know if we're Christians. She doesn't know if we're agnostics. She has no idea. But she is in her little world, in this checkout line, she's making a difference. And I think, wow, I don't do that very often. I was so impressed. We walked away, the next people walked up and I heard her say, have you seen the movie The Shift? <laughs> and I'm thinking she's doing this with everybody because she sees her life as a ministry in a checkout line. And I think that's how you make a difference. It was a testimony to me because I, I don't do those things, not near enough. Okay, let me bring it down to one last application. Do you realize that this was Israel? It's also maybe the United States, our history, but it's also the history basically of every individual, each one of you. Now let's divide your life into three parts. I don't know how long you'll live, but we'll just pick a number 90 because it's easy to divide into three parts. So 30, 30, and 30. So your first 30 years of your life, we'll call it beginnings. All the firsts, lots of the excitement, right? your first words, your first steps, your first day of school in first grade, your first graduation, your first boyfriend, girlfriend, the first love of your life, first child, first job, first home. Oh, it's a time of great excitement, isn't those first 30 years? But usually about the end of that time, we start getting established. It's the formation or building time. And it's you decide what your work will be and, and you put your roots down in your home and, and your children grow up and it's a time of leadership because you are, are providing